Good. One, do you want to look at uh, Philippians chapter 1 then, verses 19 to 30? If you've got a Bible or a phone with scripture on it, um, we'll take a look at that. Um, yeah, the series we're looking at is, is Philippians, and the series title is Living in Joy, um, but I've titled this one Living for Christ. Okay, um, so I'm going to start by reading the passage. Um, from uh, verse 19. The paragraph begins in the middle of the verse, actually, uh, verse 18, um, and then through to the end of the chapter in verse 30. So let's just um, read that. And uh, I'm going to put it up there, hopefully. No? Oh, it does work. It does work. Good. Yeah. Okay, let's read it. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you again or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Wow, well, that is a remarkable passage. Don't know what struck you just when I read it just then, but there are many remarkable, incredible verses there. And, uh, but the one that really strikes out to me and to many others I'm calling this the key verse of the passage, is this one, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's kind of the summary of the passage, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's kind of a summary of the whole book, actually, in a way. It's kind of a summary of Paul's motto, if you like. Paul's motto, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a remarkable thing for him to say, isn't it? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really care about anything else. As long as Christ is here, I'm fine. And if I die, I'm fine as well. In fact, I'm even better because I'm actually with him then, right? And that's better off, so that's great. So he's happy and, and he just, he's kind of thinking aloud. Here he is in prison, right? And, he, and he's stuck in prison, chained to a couple of, you know, of Roman soldiers and probably not seeing much daylight and... Uh, not got many other people there with him. He's stuck in prison. Food's not great either. 
Probably not feeling very good, probably a bit cold, probably a bit damp. Maybe a few rats around as well. Okay, there he is in prison and he's thinking out loud because he's facing possible execution as he writes this. Okay, that's a sobering thought for anyone, isn't it? Stuck in prison, possible execution. And so Paul's thinking, well, you know, I wonder about this. Am I going to live? Am I going to die? You know, let's think about this a minute. And he's kind of thinking out loud in this passage. You know, shall I live? Shall I die? To be or not to be? You know, that's kind of the question here. Well, I've thought about it. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I don't really mind. In fact, if it was up to me, says Paul, I would go and live with Christ. Um, what does he say? Um, I'm hard-pressed between the two. You know, it's a difficult choice, this, living or dying. You know, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I'm not really sure which I want, you know. It's a really difficult choice. If it was up to me, phew, don't know, you know, which shall I choose here, right? You know, I'd like to be with Christ because that's far better. I'm ready to die now and go and be with Christ. That's it. That's the better place. That's where I'd really want to go. But I'm a bit torn because what about you? What about you guys? Because you could do with a bit more encouragement, a bit more teaching, a bit more blessing. And I just really want to encourage you guys. And so I'm a bit torn between do I die or do I not die? You know, it's not an easy choice, this. You know, which shall I do? But I don't really care because either way, it's about Jesus. Either way, I get to be with Jesus or I get to tell people about Jesus and talk about Jesus and live for Jesus. And that's what Paul's life is all about. That's a summary of Paul's life. This is Paul's motto. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that your motto? Which would you prefer, to live or die? Is it an easy choice? You know, is it an easy choice for you or a difficult choice like it is for Paul? You know, which would you think? You know, Dawla, my wife, died last year and I wrote when I sent the message out to people, this is her gain and our loss, based on partly on this verse. You know, she's in a better place now. We're stuck down here, you know. We'll get there eventually. Um, and, uh, but this is kind of Paul's way of thinking about it. To live is Christ. What does that mean? Any thoughts, actually? Any thoughts? What does it mean? You had your hand up? No? Didn't have your hand up. Any thoughts? Carl, give me some ideas. What does it mean to live is Christ? Yeah. Yes, so he's living in Christ because Christ is alive. Is that, is that what you mean? So kind of my life comes from Christ. Is that kind of the idea? Good one. Any other ideas? Yeah. So, yeah, seeing more of Christ's kingdom come on earth, your will on earth as it is in heaven. Let's see more of that. Yeah, good one. Any other thoughts? Yeah, right at the back. Great. Yeah, be sacrificed, sacrificing himself for Christ. That's what he wants to do, just give up his life for Christ. Brilliant one. Yeah, great. Yeah, good. Any other ideas? Manuela, go on. That was his whole ambition. As long as I'm living for Christ, I'm happy. That's it. As long as I'm living for Christ, I'm happy. One or two more ideas. Are there any? Yes? Yeah, maybe that links you with what Marco was saying. Uh, but 
Yes, I understand that. So he got new life by accepting Christ into his life, and so that kind of defines his life now because he's living in Christ. Yeah, good one. I like that. Yeah. Any others? Doesn't need to be, but I'm just wondering. Any, no? You, that's exhausted the possibilities, for you thinking. Yeah, no, it, you know, but there is a lot in it, isn't there? There's a lot in this when you unpack it. Living for Christ, living in Christ, Christ's lived life coming through you, letting Christ live through you, imitating Christ, doing what Jesus would do. All of that is in it, isn't it? And that's the fullness of his life. That's his motto. And my question to you is, is it your motto? Can you say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Can you say that about your life? Is that your sole ambition? Is that what defines your life? And then I want to sort of look at the passage, come back to that question at the end again, and think about practical terms. What does it mean to live for Christ? To live is Christ. What does it mean practical terms? Here he is stuck in prison. Um, the first thing that strikes me about this passage is he's rejoicing, isn't he? He's rejoicing. You think about him in prison, and I'm thinking about these things as priorities from prison. So if you were stuck in prison, what would be your priorities? Okay, have a think about that. A minute, don't, don't need to share any ideas. You know, mine would be get out a prayer letter, get out a prayer request out there immediately. You know, tell people, I need some prayer, and stuff like that. Um, what are Paul's priorities? One of them is rejoicing, right? He's, you know, he's not fed up. He's not depressed. He's, nowhere in the letter does he say, poor old me. You know, Please help me. I'm stuck in prison, and I'm probably going to be executed. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. In fact, uh, read the, 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 um, the last bit of verse 18. Um, Only in every way, whether pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So he's rejoicing that the gospel's going out. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice because I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. He's rejoicing in all these different things. And in fact, if you read through the letter, there's so much joy in the letter, you wouldn't believe this is someone in prison. Right? It's, this is why we call the series Living in Joy. Right? You just need to go to like um, chapter 1, verse 3. Um, was it was verse 4? Um, all of you making my prayer with joy. Um, and then um, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then you know, chapter 4, verse 4 as well. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Are you capturing the joy here? Um, chapter 2, um, verse 1, complete my joy. That's verse 2, actually. Chapter 2, verse 18. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Verse 29, receive him in the Lord with great, with all joy. Um, and uh, chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoice greatly that at length you revived your concern for me. He's so full of joy, he keeps repeating it over and over and over. Rejoice, be joyful. I'm so happy. I'm so joyful. Join me. And it's a kind of command, rejoice in the Lord. Be rejoicing. I'm going to rejoice. You should be rejoicing too. And yet he's stuck in prison. How does that work? How do we rejoice when things aren't what we want it to be? Right? I know that, I've no doubt that Paul didn't want to be stuck in prison. Right? He didn't want to be there. He wanted to be out. 
with people preaching the gospel, teaching people, all that kind of stuff. And he's stuck in chains, no daylight, all that kind of stuff. But he's still rejoicing. How does he do that? How does he do that? You know, he's kind of made a conscious decision, but it's also an attitude, but it's also he's so full of joy about what God has done in his life and what God is still doing, even outside prison. Other people are preaching the gospel. You're doing great stuff. That gives me great joy. He's kind of rejoicing in what other people are doing as well. He's not kind of totally focused on himself. He's rejoicing in where other people are going. And that is a challenge for us to be joyful and rejoicing. Part of what it means to live for Christ is to be joyful and to be rejoicing. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this, it's a Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as he can be. How are you doing on that one? Are you working on that one? Are you trying to be happy? Yeah? It's your duty as a Christian to be happy, as happy as you can be. That's not to say that there aren't times of sorrow and grieving and struggles and all of that. There very, very much is. Okay? But nevertheless, even through those times, we can still praise God and rejoice in what's happening with other people and rejoice in how God's blessing other people and all that kind of stuff while still experiencing our own sorrow and grief at certain times as well. But we, yeah, we should be joyful and celebrating God and rejoicing in God. And that is part of our witness. And part of how we glorify God is rejoicing and being joyful in him. Okay, so what else is the priority from heaven? He's hopeful as well. He's hopeful. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. You're, you catch this, you know, you catch the attitude of Paul when you read this passage. There's no, I'm worried about this. There's no, I'm fed up about this. It's all like hope and excitement. There's kind of enthusiasm. I'm eagerly expecting such an enthusiasm, even writing from prison. I'm eagerly expecting and I'm hoping that it's all going to work out and I'm not going to be ashamed and it's all going to be good for me. The, the massive enthusiasm that he has here, that none of the sort of poor old me kind of stuff, nobody, oh, please get me out of this horrible, depressing place, and then nobody, nothing's happening, it's all going wrong for me, and, you know, these guards are terrible. None of that is happening. He's so enthusiastic and happy. He's hopeful because his hope is where? In Christ. His hope is in God. He's not putting his trust in other things. He's not putting his trust in other people. He's not even putting his trust in his own ability. He's putting his trust in God and he's saying, God is going to turn up. God's going to sort it out. This is going to work out. I'm going to carry on glorifying him. And as far as, as long as that matters, as long as that's happening, I'm happy. God's going to sort it out for my deliverance. One of the things to be living for Christ is to be hopeful and to, be, and to know that God is going to bring you through it. You know, one of the lessons that I've learned in this last year when I've had some difficult times with grief and sickness as well is in the end, you do get through it. In the end, you do get beyond it. You do get past it. And even at the end, the ultimate past it is death, and that's a better place as well, right? But you do, it doesn't carry on. It does end. You know, suffering does come to an end, and joy comes in the end of it. And so we can live in hope. We can be hopeful even in the worst times because it's not going to last forever. It's going to, you're going to get through it and God is going to get you through it. And then you can look forward to other times and better times beyond it. You can't, when you're in a difficult time, one way to get through it is to think, this is not going to be the way it is forever and ever. We're going to get beyond this. It's going to get past this. God is going to bring me through it. And then you can have hope. And that is kind of Paul's attitude in the mix of uh, a tip 
a difficult time there. He's hopeful. What else is Paul's priority? Living for Christ. Now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. Priority from prison, I want to honour God. I want to honour God in everything I do. I don't care whether I live or die as long as I'm honouring God. As long as God is getting the glory, as long as it's pointed to God, as long as people are seeing God in me, as long as I'm doing what God wants me to do, I'm happy then. Yeah? As long as I'm honouring God, don't care, living or dying, as long as I'm honouring God, that works for me. I'm happy then. And now, as always, all the time, all the time, every day, every moment, honouring Christ, honouring Christ, honouring Christ. I want to honour God. That's what he wants to do. That's where he wants to be. And this reminds me, um, um, there's a famous catechism. Do you know what a catechism is? It's like a teaching system. You have to learn a load of questions. And if you learn the answers to these questions, then you're a real Christian. Right? You know, or at least you understand something, all the important things of Christianity. And they used to have this Westminster Catechism written um, 1647. And question one, the first thing to learn, what is the chief end of man? What, that's old-fashioned language, okay? What it means is, what's the main purpose for human beings? What's the main purpose of your life? Question one. Does anyone know the answer? A few whispers going on here. A few whispers. What do you think the answer should be? Any ideas? Any ideas? Okay, you had to learn this if you want to be a real Christian, okay? You had to learn this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's interesting there's actually two things there, right? As long as we're glorifying God, everybody, the main thing we have to do in life is to glorify God. Do you realize that? You know, think about everything you do in terms of is it glorifying God? If you're trying to glorify God, you're on the right path. If what you're doing is glorifying God, you're doing the right thing. You're living as a Christian. Because actually the whole of creation is meant to glorify God. That's the whole purpose of creation. The whole reason God made a universe is to glorify himself. And so the whole reason for your life, chief end, the main purpose for your life is to glorify God. And if you're doing that, then you're doing what God made you to do. And that is the best place for you to be and the best person for you to be and the best priority for you to have in your life. And one of the ways that we do that is by enjoying God as well which means worshipping him, celebrating him, thanking him, all of that, because enjoying God glorifies him. And there's a load of verses they have for each of these questions, and one of them is the Philippians verse, chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice, because enjoying God, being joyful, glorifies God. Being joyful glorifies God as well. So the question for you is, are you glorifying God? Is that a priority for your life? This is what they would have asked you in 1647. Are you glorifying God? What are you doing to glorify God in your life? Are you working on trying to glorify God in every way in your life with what you do? That was Paul's priority from prison. Am I honouring God? Am I glorifying God? Now, as always, Christ be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's another priority, to be fruitful. Shall I live or die? Difficult choice. Not sure about this, you know. Well, if I'm going to live on the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. That's what it means. That's what living for Christ is. I'm going to be fruitful for God. I'm going to bear some 
fruit for God. As long as he's bearing fruit, as long as if he's carrying on living, he's bearing fruit. Living means bearing fruit. Living trees, what do they do? They bear fruit. Living branches, what do they do? They bear fruit. That's the natural thing that they do. If you're living for Jesus, you're going to bear fruit. That is naturally what comes. Fruit is going to come out of it. My question to you is, are you being fruitful? Do you think about what fruit is coming from your life as you live for Jesus, as you live for Christ? Are you bearing fruit in it? John 15 says, every branch that lives in Christ, Jesus said, will bear fruit. That's kind of what happens if you live for Christ. You will see some fruit. You'll see development. You'll see witness. You'll see answers to prayer. You'll see yourself growing in spirituality. You'll see yourself growing in gifts of the Spirit. You'll see yourself growing in prayer, growing in faith. You'll see fruit, fruit, fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, says Jesus, we'll cut that branch off because it's dead. If you're alive, you're bearing fruit. If you're dead spiritually, you're not bearing fruit. So are you bearing fruit? Guys, what fruit are you bearing? Bearing, Because we should be fruitful if we're living for Christ. Another priority from prison, serving others. Again, shall I live or die? Well, if I remain in the flesh, that's better for you, says Paul. He's not thinking about himself, you see. He's thinking about them. To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. It's very interesting that he's in prison and his, his thinking is not what's better for me so much as what's better for you. Well, you know, if I die, that's great for me. That's the best thing for me. That's far better, says Paul. But if I stay, that's better for you. So maybe that's the best thing and that's what I should do. And that's what will happen, he goes on to say. So his concern is for others more than himself. Even when he's stuck in prison, and if I was stuck in prison, I'd be pretty, pretty sorry for myself. And my prayers and thoughts would be all about myself. I'd be saying, God, get me out of here. Do it quickly. But Paul is thinking, well, if I stay, I can keep helping you. And that's what he wants to do. Um, and later in at chapter 2, verse 3, he says a similar thing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And this is what he's putting into practice here, counting others more important, putting others' priorities ahead of his own, looking out for others' interests more than his own interests, even when he's stuck in prison and can't actually do very much for them, other than pray for them and write letters to them. He's so keen to encourage them. He's so keen to see them grow. How are you doing in serving others and looking out for others ahead of your own interests? Then here's another priority, standing and striving for the gospel. He writes to the Philippians um, that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. His priority, even from prison, I want to hear that the gospel's getting out there. I want to hear that you're standing up for the gospel. I want to hear you're standing and striving and working together in unity and preaching and teaching and standing firm on the truth. I want to hear that you're not compromising. You're not watering things down. You're not being ashamed of it. You're standing up. You're standing firm. You're being strong about it. And you're being in unity about it. You're being um, courageous. You're being confident, unashamed, full of faith, united in the gospel. That's what I want to hear. Are you standing for faith in the gospel? Are you standing up for it? Are you being bold about it? Or are you carrying away and hiding and a bit ashamed of being a Christian and a bit, you know, a bit, afraid, a bit afraid of 
people know you're a Christian. Paul wants to know that the gospel is being out there and people are being unashamed and people are being standing up about, ah, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, Jesus is real for me. Yes, Jesus is risen from the dead and, and he's going to come and judge and he's the Lord of all and he's offering forgiveness for you today. And linked with that priority from Paul, that you are not frightened in anything by your opponents. Be fearless, says Paul, be fearless. Don't be afraid of other people who are persecuting the Philippians at their time, who are making life difficult Philippians, and of course have imprisoned Paul himself. Don't be afraid. I'm struck by chapter 1, verse 14. Paul's in prison, and he says, well, as a result of being in prison, most of the brothers have become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Isn't that remarkable? You know, they lock him in prison, the key leader. And what do the other Christians do? Right, we're going to preach even more now. We're going to be even bolder and more fearless. They're not cowed by, oh, he's landed in prison, I don't want to go there. I'm going to be a bit more afraid of it. No, they see someone who's suffered, who's been put in prison, and they think, I want to preach Christ even more boldly than him. I want to get out there and preach Christ more. And the persecution actually provokes more courage than fear. Isn't that striking? Isn't that remarkable? Now, persecution doesn't always do that, but I think it can do that. And there are lots of accounts in history where it has that persecution has provoked more boldness and more courage. And in the end, the church grows because people are like, whoa, what are these people who are completely unafraid of us? And of course, it goes on to say that being unafraid is a, is a witness. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. It's a witness to others where you're not afraid, you're not ashamed, you're bold, you're confident about your faith. That's one of Paul's priorities from prison. And finally, he's not denying that he's suffering. He's not denying there's suffering. He goes through all of these things, being hopeful, being joyful, serving, all of this stuff. And he's saying, but you are suffering as well. Right? This is not a wealth and prosperity gospel. There's real suffering, and real suffering does happen. But it's interesting here that he describes the suffering as a privilege. It's been granted to you, like special blessing for you. You can suffer. It doesn't often feel like a blessing when you're suffering, I can tell you, right? But this is, you've been granted to you that you can suffer for the sake of Christ. You don't only, be not only believing, but also suffering for his Christ, for, for his sake. Not only believe, but also suffering and the, the implication is this is a privilege. Wow. And then he goes on to say you've got the same kind of struggles that I have. So he's because he's suffering as well. He's stuck in prison. And um, do you ever think of it as a privilege to suffer? Do you, do you ever, ever grateful for the suffering that you go through at all? Um, in my work, I'm privileged to meet lots of people who end up losing their jobs, who have lost their jobs or face difficult tr trials of different kinds for their faith, for their Christian faith. And you meet these people and like you know, a teacher who raised safeguarding concerns about an eight-year-old transitioning gender. Of course, you know, there's real safeguarding concerns there and she knew there were real issues with the parents and all this kind of stuff. And she lost her job and now she's working at a sandwich bar. And uh, that obviously isn't what she wanted to do. It's not what she's trained to do and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we asked her, so do you have any regrets? And she said, no, absolutely. I know I did the right thing. I know I wanted to defend that child. I don't want to protect that 
child and I would do it again. And I know that God's been with me and I know that God's taught me through it and I know my faith is deep as a result and I'm so pleased that I stood up and did this. And every other person that I've met who's faced this kind of thing, do you have any regrets? No, I'm so glad I did it because the Bible came alive when this happened to me and, and God became so much more real to me and I know that I've done what God wanted me to do in this situation. There's one person who we asked last week in a conference I was at, do you have any regrets? It's um, Bernard Randall, who's an Anglican um, ordained minister and um, he was working in a Church of England school and they had this group, this um, very pro-transgender group called Educate and Celebrate coming to the school and they got the staff all chanting smash heteronormativity and he was like what? What, is, what this is meant to be a Christian school and you're saying this and they were promoting all this LGBT ideology and one of the pupils came to him and said why have we got all this stuff that is we're meant to be a Christian school why have we got to all, all this accept all this LGBT stuff can you please do a sermon about this and he thought yes I'll do a sermon about this and so he preached a sermon one chapel um, and it was really quite you can read it online it's really quite a mild sermon uh, he, all he says is, you are free to choose. You can decide what you think. You don't have to accept this. You can decide for yourself what's true and decide whether you believe it or not. And for this sermon, preaching a Christian sermon in a Christian chapel, in a Christian act of worship, as an ordained Christian minister in a Christian school, he lost his job. And he got reported to prevent the counter-terrorism group for being an extremist. And he's been re re reported as a safeguarding risk to children. He's banned from preaching anywhere in the country. It's illegal for him to preach now because he's a safeguarding risk. Whereas these educate and celebrate people, wonderful, come in and, and teach the children nonsense. You're not a safeguarding risk. It's all completely upside down and back to front. And we asked him, do you have any regrets? And he said, yes, I do have a regret. My regret is I didn't stand up stronger and earlier about this. That was his regret, you know. And so, you know, it is a privilege to suffer for Christ. And those people who've, who I've met who've done it, they always consider what an honour it is, and actually God does honour them as a result of it, and God does promote them and take them further and deepen them and, and take them into new things. It is a privilege, and this is part of what Paul says, you know, you're honoured to suffer for Christ and you're blessed if you do. So to conclude, again with Paul's motto, for me, says Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. His priorities as he lives for Christ, rejoicing, hopeful, honouring, fruitful, serving, standing and striving for the gospel, unafraid and suffering. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say that that is your motto today? My question to you. Let's stand up and let's respond to this, shall we? Let's just take a few moments um, for you to each, each one of us to ask God what he's highlighting to us today. Is there a way for you that you need to live more fully for Christ in your life? Is there a way for you that you need to live more fully for Christ? Just ask God that question or allow God to prompt you, prompt your mind, prompt your conscience from what we've heard today. Is there a way for you to live more fully for Christ.
Jesus, we just want to learn more how we can live for you. Lord, thank you that you speak to us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're speaking and have spoken to people all over this room today. And Lord, we want this to be our motto, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we want to afresh say, Lord, we want to live for you. We want to live for you more fully. We want to live for you more fruitfully. We want to glorify you. We want to honour you. We want to serve and rejoice and, and bless and just come and use us, Lord. Come and, come and work through us. Let us be people who are sold out, absolutely sold out to glorify you and unafraid, unashamed, bold, courageous, confident, ready to die, ready to live, whatever you want. We surrender to you, God. We surrender to you and say, Lord, take our lives. We just want to glorify you. We just want you to be glorified, whether by life or by death. Come and use us. Come and be glorified in our lives. And let your gospel and your word be exalted through this group of people here, through each of us today, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.